Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Well, good morning, church. It's a joy and an honor to share the word with you this morning. Um, I was very impacted last week with how Adam opened the service with, um, uh, we're desperate for you. We're lost without you. You are the air we breathe. And that cry continued this morning through worship of drawing close to God. And it just lines up right with what I want to talk about this morning. The beautiful resistance topic for today is hunger must resist apathy. So we have a pull in our culture toward apathy, and it can easily affect our relationship with God. Apathy towards God looks like a lack of caring about him, a lack of caring about the things of God resulting in a lack of action. It's kind of an indifference, a detachment or an aloofness. It's a value. It's a low value for him in comparison to a higher value for other things. But a hunger for God is a yearning and a desperation for him and for the things of his kingdom, a hunger that drives us to action, a hunger that has a way of consuming the moment. You know, when you're feeling hungry, often that dominates other things in the moment, doesn't it? And so that's how our hunger for God, it's stronger than other things. And so that's one of the things I want to do this morning, and we've already been doing it so far in the services, to stir up your hunger for God, to know him more, to crave him above all else, to live out your calling. You all have been called by God. It's just a matter of what is that calling? It's not a matter of are you called? Yes, you're called. And so go to him in prayer. God, what do you have for my life? And obey what he tells you. And if he hasn't told you a new thing recently, keep being faithful to the last thing he told you. A a craving and a hunger to be transformed into his likeness. The more we behold his glory, the more we become like him. And that's what a hungry person does a hunger to honor and obey king jesus he is the king of kings and the lord of lords like we proclaimed this morning it's a hunger that says i um i may have questions there's things that don't make sense there's mysteries many of us still you know there's things maybe about christianity or god or the bible where you're like oh i just don't get it yet but a hunger that says Um, I may not understand yet, but I'm pressing in. Where else would I go? You alone have the words of life. I won't let my questions allow me to detach. So I'm going to press in and I'm going to trust that as I follow you, you're going to reveal truth. You're going to reveal wisdom. You're going to teach me along the way as I continue to pursue you in hunger a hunger that um, stirs up a faithfulness in me, knowing the only way that we can be faithful is by the grace of God. It's his work in us, the work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be faithful. A hunger that is motivated to please God 
more than people? Do you want to please God more than people? If we don't have a hunger, it's really hard to have that in the right balance. A hunger that builds faith. Our hunger for God builds our faith that will move mountains. And that's the life that God has called the believer to. Amen? Amen. When hunger does, when hunger does not resist apathy, we lose interest in the things of God and settle for a dull faith. One of the biggest reasons hunger should resist apathy is that God despises lukewarmness, which can be an easy place to slip into where we're neither hot nor cold for God. This happened to the church in Laodicea. God tells this church in Revelation 3, 15 through 17, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you're not, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. See, they thought they were just doing just fine without God on their own. <clears throat> but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked lukewarmness creates a spiritual numbness and i do not want that for my life i do not want to be spit out and i don't want that for any of us <clears throat> so how do we stay hot for god by keeping fanning that flame keep that fire burning that says i want you more than anything else god and i've been contemplating how do you keep that fire and that desperation Yet, take care of the kids, do the dishes, fix the car, go to work, go to school. All these things, the routines of life. And, and I said, Lord, teach me how to have that. I don't want to just be hungry for you on a Sunday morning when we've just had this powerful worship service. You know, I want that throughout the week where I'm driving and, I, and, I, and I'm worshiping you while I'm driving. I'm going about my day but I'm, I'm praying throughout the whole thing. I'm doing my grocery shopping. I'm getting gas in the car, but I'm always ready to share the gospel. So I think that is how we um, can balance that hunger, yet still live our life that we need to live, right? So my goal for this morning is twofold. First, I've mentioned I want to stir up our hunger for God. And the second is to teach on fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that must be fueled by hunger for God in order to be practiced. Fasting is not a natural thing to desire. It, it, it isn't. It requires a desperation for God that causes us to press through its difficult and uncomfortable aspects. And I'll tell you, years and years of my life, I was not there. I was not to that level of desperation and hunger, willing to press through. I think I also had some ungodly beliefs um, tied to why I wasn't able to do that. But as God's been dealing with me, I've been able to begin practicing this spiritual discipline. And it's been amazing. 
Um, but the sacrifice required in order to fast means it will not be something a complacent or apathetic person will do. Jesus assumes believers will fast. He says, and when you fast, this is in his Sermon on the Mount, and when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled. Oh, I'm fasting. Feel, uh, don't you want to think I'm amazing? Okay, we're not supposed to do that. We don't, we're not trying to get admiration from people. Um, I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. That means go about your daily routine so that things appear normal. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. There's great reward that comes from fasting. <clears throat> now, as one of your lead pastors... If there is something that will make your relationship with God most vibrant and true to scripture, I want to talk about that thing. I want to learn about that thing together. I want to get good at it together. And so that's what we're doing this morning. Amen? All right. Imagine this scene. A crowd had gathered and things were getting tense. A young boy with a demon had been brought to Jesus' disciples for them to cast it out. The disciples had had some success in this kind of thing before. They tried, but nothing seemed to happen. They tried again, and the boy gnashed his teeth and passed out. The intensity increased. Nothing that had worked for the disciples before seemed to matter in this moment. Try as they would, the demon wouldn't go. The boy remained in bondage. They didn't have the power to do it. So a dispute broke out between the disciples, the crowd of people, and the teachers of the law who were there. As they disputed, most likely fighting about reasons why they weren't successful in freeing the boy, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but that was the situation and there was dispute. As the conflict escalated, the boy was in torment and his father in anguish. Here is where Jesus enters the scene. He had been on the, uh, he, he had been on the Mount of Transfiguration and was rejoining his disciples. When the demon saw Jesus, it convulsed the boy and threw him to the ground. Jesus exhorted the father to have faith, rebuked the demon, and drove it out. Later, during ministry debrief, <laughs> Jesus revealed a valuable principle on the inner workings of the supernatural. We encounter this scene in Mark 9, 29 and 28. When he, Jesus, had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Fasting utilizes a powerful tool. Now, when you hear this, some of you may think, okay, prayer, that's doable. But fasting, that seems impossible. 
And as I shared, that's how I felt for a portion of my life. Is there some way around it? Maybe it's easier to let someone else press in. I'm just muddling through my life as best I can with my own problems. But each of us will face circumstances where what we usually rely on will fall short. We will all have moments like the disciples in Mark 9 when things don't go the way that we thought they would. They won't go the way that we thought Jesus said they would go. How will we respond in those moments? Will we break into dispute and figure out why and accuse? Or will we turn to fasting and prayer? We will all have moments like the Father in Mark 9 when we need help for ourselves and help for those we love. What then? These words of Jesus will hit us with fresh impact. This kind of struggle requires us to shake off apathy and seek him with desperation. This kind requires prayer and fasting. Are you up against something that requires a new level of desperation and power in your life? After Jesus was baptized and identified by God as his son, it marked the starting point of his ministry. And he could have gone out and, and hosted a big banquet. He could have preached to thousands on a hillside. He didn't begin with fanfare. He began his ministry by engaging in a 40-day fast. I want us to learn from Jesus' example before we take on a major initiative or a new ministry or a new season of life. What if we fasted like Jesus and sought God's heart and submitted those plans to him? Life-changing. Speaking of life-changing, if you have not read this book yet by Josh Muse, Called by Fire, you, I recommend everyone read it. It's a life-changing book. It is full of stories of prayer and fasting and full of examples of what hunger looks like. In fact, if, um, if you looked up antonyms for the word apathy, I think Josh Muse would fall under that list. <laughs> I'm sure of it. In fact, um, Bill, if you could pass out the handout now would be a great time. So we're going to talk about what is fasting. And um, this is a topic that I've learned a lot from Cameron on over the years and in the recent months. But part of this is um, material that I got from him. And I'm not going to cover all of these details, but it's really important stuff practical instructions for before a fast, during a fast, after a fast, why we fast. Um, so definitely take that as a resource. But as I said, I'm not going to cover all of that today. But what is fasting? In some regards, fasting has become quite popular in mainstream society. However, it's often separated from a spiritual purpose typically focused on helping the formation of the soul or helping transform the physical body. 
Intermittent fasting rests our gut and resets our metabolism. Keto is a fast from carbs. Juice fasting removes toxins from our bodies. These are different in that they are typically not seen as a means to deeper prayer. But biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. There is a total fast where um, water and food are given up completely for a short time. We see this occasionally in scripture during the direst of circumstances. If you tried this today, you'd probably require medical attention pretty quickly. There's the normal fast where you drink water, but you stop eating and you turn your energies toward prayer and intercession and reading the scripture and other spiritual activities. There's a liquid fast where you eat no food, only water, juice, broth, smoothies. And there is a partial fast or a Daniel fast where you restrict your diet while still eating. We see this in the book of Daniel where he chose to refrain from particular categories of food while still receiving sustenance from vegetables, but rejecting any food that gave him joy as it says in Daniel 10.3. Here is a quote I want to share with you from John Tyson, who wrote the book, Beautiful Resistance. Fasting is designed to shift our focus from our bodies to our spirits and from our flesh to our Father. The goal is to enter into deeper communication with him. It is marked by intentionality in our withdrawal from food. Fasting without being combined with prayer and the word is little more than dieting. So that's a helpful distinction, right? Now, people sometimes choose to fast from things other than food. Fasting from media, fasting from negativity, fasting from shopping. As useful as those can be for tweaking habits, biblical fasting seems to be tied to food. Fasting is replacing physical sustenance with spiritual sustenance. Exceptions would be those with medical conditions or anyone who struggles with eating disorders. If you have health issues, talk to your doctor before fasting. Now, let's talk about feasting for a minute. Because that's important too. So I want you to picture this. Picture normal life kind of here in the middle. We're going along. And we should pop over into feasting and pop over into fasting very regularly. That our, the Christian life should be full of times of feasting and times of fasting. And we can practice the celebration of discipline in all areas. Peter did a beautiful sermon on celebration must resist cynicism. And celebration can be a part, whether we're fasting or feasting or you know, living out in the middle. Through fasting, to talk about more of the benefits and what happens when we fast. Through fasting, our relationship with food is revealed and can be reordered. Food can easily be an idol. If you're like most people who are food obsessed, not everyone is, but it's very common. Fasting is not so easy. Here's uh, something interesting I'll share with you. Food is central at every level of society. In a book called A Framework for Understanding Poverty by Ruby Payne, 
she explores um, how the poor middle class and wealthy view different aspects of life. Regarding food, she found that the key question for the poor is about quantity, did I have enough? The key question for the middle class is about quality, did I like it? They focus more on the quality of the food or the sourcing of the food. And the key question for the wealthy is about presentation. Was it aesthetically pleasing? They're willing to spend large amounts of money on the perfect plate. But this shows us food can be consuming at any level of society. It's interesting that the allure of food played such a, a role in the biblical narrative of the fall through redemption storyline. Adam and Eve were tempted in part by the appearance of the food the enemy laid before them. Genesis 3, 6 reads, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was, who was with her and he ate it. Esau was willing to give up his birthright for a pot of stew in a moment of hunger. Hebrews 12, 16 through 17 reflects on that incident. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. The children of Israel shrank back from their destiny of deliverance when they remembered the food of Egypt. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 records, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Can you believe he said at no cost? I think slavery for 400 years would be a cost. But at no cost, we were able to eat cucumbers and melons and leeks, garlic and onion. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. <laughs> there desire for food distorted their memories and sowed seeds of grumbling and disobedience. In all of these examples, the appetite led the person. See, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now, which of the three should be leading the other two? Amen. Allowing our bodies to lead our spirits and souls can cause incredible compromise and collectively weaken the church. Did you know that you can bless and strengthen your spirit? You can pray prayers um, like, I call my spirit to attention to operate in leadership over my soul and body. When I'm fasting in my body, is crying out, feed me. Rah! I, I literally say, body, I hear you. You're not in charge. 
the spirit is leading and calling the shots. And I just have to put my body in its place. In Luke 4, Jesus faced the same primal temptation as Adam. Yet Jesus had deeper hunger and resisted the temptation that food brought. Wow. Verses 1 through 4 of Luke 4 record this encounter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus knew the truth about the desire for about desire and satisfaction. In a later passage, Jesus said that his food was to do the Father's will. His deeper desire to please the Father overrode his desire to satisfy his stomach. Fasting can lead us into a space where we examine and reorder the place food holds in our lives. Fasting can lead us into a space where we examine and reorder the place food holds in our lives. Fasting reveals our dependencies. More than any other spiritual discipline, fasting can reveal it. It reveals the things that can control us because often we cover up things going on inside of us, um, stresses, worries, pains. We, we cover them up with good things. Now, most of these are good things given to us by God for us to enjoy. They are gifts. They are your basic, well, we've already talked about food, food, Wine, coffee, watching shows, gardening, reading, decorating, traveling, investing, surfing the internet, shopping, exercise, collecting, acquiring knowledge, a lot of things. But these um, good things can become substitutes for God if they move into the category of entitlement or addiction or get a disproportionate amount of our time. Jesus shares about this dynamic in the parable of the sower. He said that some people hear the word of God and a desire for God is awakened in them, in their hearts. But the seed that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. The desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. The pleasures of life, the desire for other things are not evil in themselves. In overabundance, though, all of these things will numb our spiritual senses in our walk with God. They can become an enemy of your hunger for God. Fasting puts them back into the right perspective, back into their rightful place. Fasting brings intimacy and insight. All of us have 
deeply ingrained patterns in our brain, neural pathways centered around the need for physical satisfaction. Fasting breaks these default connections and reorients us toward greater food, intimacy, and enjoyment of God. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, it fosters intimacy. As we draw close to God, as Carrie exhorted us this morning, we find out what he's doing. Hey, this is a key. When you press into God in intimacy, you find, what, you find out what he's doing and you pray along those lines. You pray according to those lines. Sometimes we don't pray according to his will because we've not come close enough to hear what his will is in the situation. So draw near and pray in that way. Anna understood this. Her story is recorded in Luke 2, 36 and 37. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna gave her life to prayer and fasting. And what was the result? She was one of the few in her generation to see the Messiah. What a privilege. Fasting tuned her into the secrets of God and produced a close intimacy. God also grants intimacy and insight to churches that fast to seek his guidance. In Acts 12, 2 through 3, the early church was seeking direction for apostolic mission. While Christians at Antioch were worshiping and fasting, God broke in and gave them direction and anointing for the mission that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Corporate fasting is one of the most strategic ways we can align decision-making according to God's heart and accelerate the mission of the kingdom of heaven. And guys, I feel um, that this was a timely word for us. I don't know when, but I, there's going to be a time where we are going to do a corporate fast because where we're going as a church, the things that God has called us to is going to require that we press in to prayer and fasting. So I want you to practice it now. Fasting is something that the more you practice, the better you get at it. And start small if you've never fasted before. Fast one day, sundown to sun up, or fast a portion of a day. Start with a partial fast, a Daniel fast, but work your way up. And this spiritual discipline is so important. And we want to be able to press in corporately when God calls us to do that. We want to, we know how to do that. We've done that. We're ready. We're prepared. We can't say we want revival. We want more of you, Lord, but not be willing to do the things that we need to do to be ready. It's like, do we really mean it? I think we really mean it. <laughs> Fasting brings breakthrough. Joel 2, <clears throat> we read how fasting brought breakthrough in this situation. Here, God has laid out 
his plan of judgment before the people. He's explaining the terror that was going to be that was going to come because of his great wrath against their horrible sin that had been practiced for generations. Yet in the midst of this warning, God made an appeal to his people. He says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Fasting can turn back judgment and unleash blessing in its place. And God calls the whole community to utilize this tool. I want to review. We fast to resist apathy. Fasting and prayer pulls us out of complacency. We fast to obey Jesus. He expects his followers will have fasting in the rhythm of their life. He did it, giving us the example to follow. We fast to contend for breakthrough because some struggles can only be dealt with through prayer and fasting. We fast to increase the power of prayer. You demonstrate to God, to the enemy, and to yourself that you're serious for what you're praying for while you're fasting. The power of your prayer time is increased. Now, does this mean that your prayers are not powerful if you're not fasting? No, don't hear what I'm not saying. Those prayers are powerful. Continue to pray. Pray without ceasing um, is what we're called to. But, but recognize there's a weightiness to our prayers while we're fasting. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's true. We fast to grow in discipline. Fasting strengthens our spirit person, and we experience a new level of self-control in our lives, making sure that it's not our appetite that's in charge. Fasting reorders our dependencies. Things that control us are revealed. Fasting helps us put those things back in proper place. Fasting increases our intimacy with God. We feast on his goodness. We draw near. And we fast to rely on God. Our physical weakness is experienced in a tangible way when we're fasting. We become more aware of our need to fully depend on him and his strength. Hunger must resist apathy, and fasting can be a big part of that. In closing, let's dream for a minute. What would happen if you petition God through fasting? What would happen if we petition God through fasting? As I mentioned, I believe we will do that together. Moses' 40-day fast resulted in the revelation of the Ten Commandments. Hannah fasted and God gave her a son who became a prophet, who changed the destiny of a nation. Esther called a fast and her people were delivered and their enemies overcome. When Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, he was the only man to ever overcome the temptations of the devil, the only man 
to never have sinned. Unlike Jesus, we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible explains that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father but through him. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you recognize today that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is Lord, that he paid the penalty for your sin, that he died and rose again. Jesus will return. When he rose, he said, I'm coming back in this same way. He's coming again, guys. We don't know the day or the hour, but he is going to come and he's going to set everything right. But he waits. He waits to give people more time to choose to love him back, to choose to devote their lives to him. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But ultimately, he will come. And ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Bill opened the service with that passage. But your chance to freely choose to bow and worship him happens before you die or before Jesus returns. Because then it will be too late. And for those that refuse him, they will get their wish and spend eternity apart from God. Apart from all goodness, apart from all light, apart from all joy, apart from all peace apart from all health, in hell, a place of utter torment. Those who choose him will spend eternity with him, apart from all evil, apart from all sin, apart from all darkness, apart from all pain, apart from all sorrow. So I encourage you, make that choice. If you have not yet acknowledged Jesus as Lord, do not leave today before making that decision. Let's uh, stand and pray. Father, we love you. As a church family, it's been an honor to come together to worship you and to be stirred by your Holy Spirit through the word. And so I pray, God, that uh, hunger would deepen in each of us, that we would crave you above all else, and I pray that we would have a renewed vigor to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I pray that for anyone here today, that if they have not made that decision to acknowledge you as Lord, that they would today. Thank you, Father. I pray blessing over these wonderful people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.